Today, we're going to talk about being faithful with my mind. You know, uh, that's a, it's, it's such a huge part of our Christian walk. When, when, when I came to Jesus, I didn't, you've heard me say it before, when I came to Jesus, I did not get a new brain. Been nice, right? Been good to get a better brain, if I could replace that, especially as I get older, it'd be nice to get a, a better brain, right? I, I went to school uh, with a, a lot of, there's a, a Space and Rocket Institute near my hometown, and, and so I went to school with a bunch of kids that were kids of Rocket scientists, and that'll tell you pretty quick that, that you're not uh, the best student in the classroom. Uh, I would go and play golf all summer, and I'd see my friends, and they would say, like, where have you been? Oh, I went to a math camp at Harvard, and oh, you, they have those? And, you know, and, and I didn't know stuff like that, and so I realized pretty quick that, that I wasn't the, the sharpest tool in the shed, but, but I tell you, when I got saved, when Jesus came into my life, I didn't get a new brain, but you know what I did get? I got a new mind. God gave me a new mind, and today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be faithful with my mind, because God gave you a mind, and we're, we're told in the scriptures to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. So we're going to look at that and what that looks like today, and so, you know, from time to time, every now and then, God just really lets you cross paths with some really cool people, like wicked cool people. Not wicked in, as in spiritually, right? But this is my friend Milt Louder. I want y'all to welcome Milt to the stage. And uh, come on up. Milt, Milt is a, a really cool dude. And, you know, uh, Milt, honestly, Milt may be the only Presbyterian friend I've got. You, you, uh, you know, listen, don't say we're not into diversity up here, okay? We got a bald headed Cuban that leads our worship. That's a good joke, right? We got a country boy, Zach, who's tall and, you know, and he's a reformed redneck, right? And then we got me, just Jason from small town, Tullahoma, right? We got women and men. From, and then we, today we got a Presbyterian, man. We are into gospel diversity, yeah. right? You're my only Calvinist friend, too, which is a lot. That is if a lot. My, I'm, I'm thankful my for staff, it. If you ask my staff, that I, I let Milt into my life, which is a dangerous thing, uh, for sure. But uh, Milt, Milt, let me tell you something, y'all. I cried in the first service, so I kind of got it out. Uh, but, but I want y'all to know, you don't know this, you don't realize this, but Milt Louder has been a friend to you because he's been a friend to your team. Milt, Milt is, uh, has, has done a lot of work with the Clearview staff on mindset. Hey, you want to talk about the sovereignty of God? We went to Clemson, South Carolina in February of last year, and Milt worked us through a whole thing on mental toughness and mental mindset biblically. And how did we know that within 30 days the whole world was going to shut down? And I mean, you talk about the timing of God, boy. I mean, we still talk about that, that as a team, that, you, that, that within 30 days of what we were about to walk into to be mentally tough. So thank you, Milt, for being here. Well, it's a blessing to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting a Presbyterian come into your midst. They ain't heard what I had to say yet. No. They, so we'll, they, we'll, we'll hold judgment. all right. Now, we brought Milt in to speak at tonight's Men of Franklin group. But I'm like, well, if you're going to come on Sunday night, you've got to come. We're going to get you here on Sunday morning. And, and Milt is not a preacher. And so we're going to do a, an, an interview style kind of Q&A because i got questions. This, this is the first time I get to ask the questions because you're always <laughs> asking me questions. And it's a little intimidating being around a guy like this. It's like your own personal Fraser Crane, and I don't like that. All right, so let's sit down and uh, let's get. You know, you're going to see me working through our iPad a little bit because I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of play the the role here of of somebody that's asking some questions, and and I want to walk through them pretty good. And so now, 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 this is the interesting thing about Milt. Uh, our paths crossed in in a unique way. And the first time we he, we I called him on the phone. I, I've always been a big believer in having a coach. I really do. I. I, I, I think it's because I did grow up in athletics and my daddy being a golf pro, I had somebody looking at my swing. In fact, I, I, I I, it hit me later in life, Milt, that I, I was used to feedback, yeah. not criticism. You've helped me a lot with that. Criticism is what most pastors face. We don't like feed, we think We think we're getting feedback. No, we're getting criticism. But criticism is from people that just want to complain. Feedback is somebody that loves you. And so I had feedback my whole life from my dad looking at my golf swing. And I think it lear I learned the power of a coach. And even at 48 years old, I seek out coaching all the time because I just want to get better. I, want to, I do. I really want to be better in the way I look at life. And so I called Milt up and, and, and uh, I asked him to kind of, I had first heard about him through a podcast. I was going to speak at a church in North Carolina and, and I loaded up my phone on podcasts and 
there was this interview with this Milt Louder guy, and I thought, well, I don't know if he had talked to me, and, and uh, his time, is pro he probably charges $10,000 a minute, and I, and I can't afford that, and, you know, and so, and, I, and this is free, by the way, so thank you, I yeah. appreciate that. Um, uh, I, he didn't know that, but it is now, in the name yeah. of Jesus, yeah. and, and so, but I, uh, I, I called him up, and the first thing he said to me, he said, hey, you duck hunt. I said, how would you know this? I've been Googling you. And so I'm like, well, hey, man, this is something made in heaven right here. And we, so we started talking, and for about 25 minutes, we talked about dogs. And, and at some point, we got to, let me tell you why I'm really calling you. <laughs> so this is one of our executive hunts we did in Mississippi, and that's Milt and, and some, some different executive, Richard Perko and Jerry Vance and Steve Byram, who's an executive in Nashville, and our dog Stella. And, and it was kind of intimidating, to be honest with you, uh, driving four and a half hours with a psychologist, knowing that he was probably analyzing everything I said, even down to what I drink and eat. And, and so that bothered me, but I'm getting over it, and uh, it's getting better. <laughs> but uh, Milt, tell them, you started a company, um, over the years, I want you to tell them about how you got here. Because the interesting thing about you is in South Carolina, you were raised on a farm. Yeah. And you went to Clemson and got an undergraduate degree in mechanized farming or something like that. Yeah. And then you became a cognitive psychologist. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange path. But, yeah. but it's a, uh, that's why I loved, I listened to your first sermon about cultivating faithfulness. And I loved my time on the farm. And, and probably why I left the farm was more about my family than the farm. Yeah but kind of investing in the land, taking care of a crop, protecting it. You know, we talk about this anxiety that we feel and this pressure that we feel is sometimes we don't appreciate what maybe God has given us our gifts about, how he's gifted us, what our strengths are. So it took me a while to realize that maybe my gifts were around helping others hmm. and encouraging others and trying to help them feel and experience hope. Yeah. And so a path I took, um, I was coaching basketball and that kind of fell through and uh, that's how I became a psychologist. And, and when you launched Amplos, Amplos is the name of his company, and that, that stands for what? It's a Latin word that represents growth. Growth. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so we're just all about how, you know, how do we optimize who people are and what they do? Uh -huh. um, help, how do we help them find meaning in their life? How do we help them find meaning in their suffering? How, how do we help them develop holistically, mentally, and physically, and spiritually, and emotionally, and relationally, and behaviorally? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we kind of help them spend their time and effort and energy on the things that matter, on the people that matter most to them? So, when one of the things that I love about what Milt does is there was kind of a shift, knowing your narrative, from you had a practice, marriage and family, all kinds of it just it, different cognitive behaviors in South Carolina, but then you kind of took a turn toward... The way I describe Milt to people is he kind of deals with uh, high-performance people. And, and that, that, that may not necessarily mean that you have to be a Major League Baseball player, although they work with MLB players and PGA Tour players and, and that kind of thing. They work with a lot of healthcare individuals. They work with a lot of people. in, in, in if, you, if you lead a team, if you're a leader, uh, they work with a lot of different people on mindset. And, um, now, but you, to let them know... Um, you, uh, you do have, like with Clemson, you have a very special relationship. Uh, so kind of walk us through kind of what you do there. Yes, I've been a part of the athletic department at Clemson University since 2005. And when I first started, it was probably, you know, 60 or 70% mental health and 30% performance. Okay. But one of the things that I've learned along the way is the mental skills that make you successful in sport yeah. are the same mental skills that make you successful in life. That's right. And so how do we teach those skills to these individuals, to these coaches, these teams, yeah. to help them become better than they were before? So you work with the football team? Yes, primarily the football team now. And so my That's work, worked out pretty good. Yeah, it's been a blessing. Yeah. Somebody asked me, it's like, oh, now, now I see somebody's a part of the team. And I said, oh, that's well, so true. Yeah. There's times I have literally heard Dabo Swinney say something in a press conference, and I went, that's Milt Louder yeah. saying that. Like, you didn't say that, Dabo. That's coming from Milt. No, and, I, I, you know, he's, he's a special man with a unique gift that is a strong faith yeah, and a amazing. strong belief. And uh, it's been a privilege and a blessing. I'm joking, by the way. Yeah, it, it's been a privilege and a blessing to work with him yeah. and to work with so many of these young men. But, but as I tell them, and what I hope for you today, if the only thing I ever do is make you better in football, uh, then I failed you. That's right. If I haven't made you better in life, um, yeah. then, then I feel I've fallen short of my job. And, and so they work with the University of Georgia. Drew works with them. Yeah, we've got a big battle coming up in, in uh, right. September, so that'll be fun. And, and, and yet, with Amplos, though, you work with a lot of healthcare executives, uh, healthcare companies, uh, large construction companies. There's just all kinds of people that 
really kind of yeah, we're probably more outside the sport world. That's probably just 20% of what we do. But it's really, you know, if you're interested in pursuing better and, and to like, how are you going to think differently about success and think differently about failure and how are you going to identify what's important? How do you get the right people on your team? Yes, and, to speak into that. Yeah, and how do you create alignment around and create a vision around where you're going and who you want to be and who God wants you to be? Uh, that's a lot of our work that we do. So he has a, if, if you're into podcasts, and I am, I listen to military podcasts, strategy, finance, marketing. I, I just, I love learning. When, when the Lord says to, to love the Lord with your mind, I, it's not about growing in intellect. It, it, it's about growing in mental strength. I, I just, I, I like to learn and, and, and I push my boys to be lifelong learners. And, and, and so, but Milton has a podcast, him and Drew Brannon and, and, and Corey and the others, uh, Katie, uh, called The Growth Project. If you go on the iOS store, if you go on Spotify, they, listen, they, they interview all kinds of people. They did a three-part series on gratitude. And I was like, wow, I've probably listened to that a bunch of times. Yeah, the research, I've really been trying to study gratitude and, and mainly for my own life and others. The research is fascinating around gratitude and its relationship to performance, its relationship um, to a positive mindset, yeah. its relationship to having great relationships with others. And so, um, you know, if you think about what gratitude really is, the best definition I've heard is wanting what you have. And so when you make not the, what you don't. Yeah, when you make the choice to want, want what you have, then you have freedom, then you have peace of mind, and you aren't worried about what you don't have, and you aren't worried about what's to come. Yeah. You're really it helps you focus on being present. Yeah, it really lets you appreciate your gifts, and also lets you appreciate the gifts of others. Mm. Yeah, the, the gratitude section. But y'all, y'all have done on things on anxiety. Listen, there's nobody in this room that could not listen to that growth project. It's not just for people in business or sports. It is for moms and dads. It is for students. I mean, there's nobody that can't learn from that. And, so. and, and you're on there. You're a guest. Oh, that you're, was the you're, worst. You're, you're a guest I, on the podcast. Man, I cried in that too. I, I, every time I get around you, I tear up. And then I, I, I was, I was jacked up on. Uh, this is not. I still regret that. I had drinking like three cups of coffee, and I'd had a Sudafed, and and then I do an interview with you, and I rambled and rambled and rambled, and, and went all. And I, they, y'all can take that down if you want. It was good. It, it, no, we enjoyed it. Um, but I, I. Um, so let's get to. I got some questions um, because here, here's the thing, Milt. Um, in the church space. Cognitive psychology is weird for us in, as evangelicals. We're going to talk more in a minute about abuse. We, we, there's a lot about health and wealth, and there's all kinds of things that you've heard over the years. So when Christians <laughs> hear about psychology, yeah. but, but here's the thing, y'all. The further I go in Jesus and the more I read the New Testament especially, the Bible is full of cognitive psychology, worry, anxiety, how you look at life, how you interpret situations. The Bible is full of it. And, and so that's always been a problem for us, but what got you into this thing of studying the mind? Well, yeah, I think that's a great question. There's always been a huge split of, of separation of the church and psychology. And it kind of goes both ways. But as you said, as we start understanding how God created us and how God created our minds and what science really is, and all psychology is the scientific study of the mind. That's right. It's not good or bad. It's, it's not just, good. We're just trying to understand, like, if he created everything about us, then, then our job is to try to understand and use it in a way that he created it. Embrace it. Yeah. And in fact, Proverbs 25.2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter to search out a matter to the glory of kings. Hmm. And so what that means to me is God may or may not reveal to me how like our minds or our struggles or why there's something in my life, but it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to, I pray for wisdom and knowledge and understanding every morning hmm. because that's what I think psychology, that's what I think science is, is trying to understand how he created our minds so we can use it in the way it was created. You know, one of the things I love about milk is I, doing what I do for the last 20 plus years, I, I see a lot of Christian counselors that take their psychology and try to find ways to marry it with their theology. Yeah. But what you do is your psychology comes out of your theology. And I've watched you. Do you see the difference? 
I've, I, Milt has built a biblical worldview that's not afraid of psychology. God made our brain. Yes. I mean, sometimes when you talk about things I can't even spell, you know, <laughs> dopamine and different things. And I'm like, Milt, I don't know. Can you just get me through this volleyball tournament, man? I just, I just want to help. I want to get help with that right there, you know. Or, but it's really interesting. Like, it's fascinating to me how God made the mind to interpret. Yeah, and I, and I pray that's the case, and I appreciate you saying that. But one of the things I did in my old office before we moved in is, is my family went in and we, we wrote our favorite verses and our favorite scripture on the wall before we painted. And, and one of the, the verses that I put right over my desk is Isaiah forty thirteen and 14 that says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who is his counselor? Who did he consult with to gain wisdom? Who has shown him the right way? And I just wanted to keep that in my mind because as much as I try to understand the mind that he created, I also understand my failures in trying to grasp it. Yeah. That as it says in Isaiah, my thoughts are in his thoughts, my ways are in his ways. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to pursue that process. Yes. And as you said, love the Lord with all your mind, all your heart, and all your soul. That's right. And sometimes as Christians, we, take, we, we can do it with our soul, we can do it with our body, yeah. but we are so hesitant to go get help in psychology. Yes. Yeah, and Christians especially. I'm serious. I have watched Christians my entire Christian career. You know, if you had a toothache, and you would, if you had a bad tooth issue, and you would not go to the dentist, your friends would call you a moron wrapped in an idiot, right? I mean, seriously. They're like, what's wrong with you? Go to the dentist. But when we struggle with our mindset, there is some kind of stigma attached to that, that Praise God, I don't, I don't, that never stuck to me. I, if I get stuck, you know what I don't want? If I'm stuck, I don't want to stay stuck. Yes. I'm serious. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of my life. I'm giving days away. I'm giving years away. It's amazing how many people, it's, it, I, I, it's amazing how, to me, how much we've learned to accept dysfunction as normal. And, and, and we, can, we can get out of that. So, so when you look at, let me ask you a question. When, 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 if God wants us to be faithful with our mind, that's, a, that's like an ocean. Like stand, it's like standing in front of an ocean with a sailboat. Like, well, how do I do that? Where would you point a Christian to? If you want to have a faithful mind, where would they start? Yeah, I think growth always starts with awareness. And the challenge we have with awareness, Tasha Yurik has done the most research, and, and she researched a lot of people, and it's, she said that 95% of us claim to have a high level of self-awareness. So that's a good thing. Like, we, we, who we think we are, we, we think pretty good about ourselves. Yeah. But the research suggests that only 13% of us actually do. Yeah. And so we don't ask the right questions. We don't ask for the feedback. We don't, we don't seek uh, answers from the appropriate place. Mm-hmm. And so that awareness starts with being faithful in my mind. Is how were our minds created? Well, God created our minds to protect us. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a survival mechanism. Yes, absolutely. So our autonomic nervous system was created to protect us from threats to our safety and security. So our brain is constantly on the lookout for threats to our safety and security. So that triggers this fight-or-flight response. And so I'm, my brain leads the way. It sends a signal, a message through my body that I'm not safe. So then I'm constantly reacting emotionally and physiologically and physically to the threat that is perceived by my brain. Okay. And so I think it says that over 365 times in the Bible, hmm. do not be afraid. Yes. Do not fear. Right. So God knew that was going to be such a struggle for us. Yes. And so what psychology tries to do is as we gain that awareness of how our brains were created, then how can we change the way we think to create a different outcome? You know, one of the things you make a point there, it's interesting to me, you know, Jesus, remember when Jesus told the disciples when, right about as he's about to, to go to the, to the cross, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Remember that? Let not your heart be troubled. What does that mean? He's saying, I know it is troubled. When he says, do not worry, he presupposes, I I know you're worried. All throughout the Psalms, you see, do not worry. Because he knows we are. God It's it's a natural part of life. What we do with it is the difference. Yes. And so so you would say, to to, to start understanding, to be faithful with our mind, uh, is is to to realize how different our thoughts are and and to give ourselves some, some... some margin. You talk a lot about, 
you, you spend a lot of time talking. I've, just, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I've listened just in general to you talking. I, I pay attention to what you say. And, and you have a pretty good grasp on, I don't know if you do it well for yourself. I mean, only you know that. Yeah. But, but telling people to give yourself some margin for grace and to be human. Yeah, I think sometimes I am better at giving other people grace that I don't give myself. Yeah. Or that I don't accept. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we try to hold ourselves to a higher standard mm. um, than, we, than we're supposed to. Right. And we, we take away the freedom to struggle. We take away the permission to be human. Yes. And, and we sometimes run away from the very source that can provide us comfort. Because we say it clear of you all the time. My, this crowd knows when I say... Um, we're not home yet. Yeah. It means we're not in heaven yet. Yeah. So, so many people I know that are control freaks, and I don't mean control freaks from a standpoint of arrogance and power. Uh, there's people out there that do that, and, but, but a lot of people are control freaks because they want to create, they, they want to manufacture, they want to manipulate every situation from the smallest to the largest. They want to manipulate and, and try to form an environment where mistakes can't happen. Well, that's called heaven. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, we try We're not home yet. We try to control the things that only God can control. Yeah. And so much as I'm growing older, I'm realizing, man, there's very little I can control. Yes. My, my wife uh, and my, two of my children are here today, and, and she sent me a devotion not long ago that said even a great husband makes a poor God. Great husband makes a poor God. And I'm not a great husband, so I don't know where that leaves me. Well, let's in ask the, Caroline. Yeah, said, yeah, let's, let's don't bring her up here. We don't need to do that. But, but if we think about... What she's trying to say is... Do you is, not like feedback? I, I don't love feedback, okay, no. Because okay, okay, I, I interpret it as criticism. <laughs> you know, as you think, <laughs> so funny. you are. I interpret it as criticism. And so understanding, we try to control the things we can't control. And with that, I think sometimes as Christians, we think we shouldn't struggle. Yes. Like, I should have more I faith. Would be, I, I would be a better Christian if yeah, I did. Yeah, I should be a better Christian. And one of the best examples... Um, that I wanted to mention was I work with Ben Martin on the PGA Tour. Yeah. And uh, Ben's had a great career, but his first win in 2014 came. Uh, he was playing, uh, Kevin Streelman was a guy in second place. Uh -huh. And uh, Kevin Streelman was chasing Ben down, and Ben had the lead, and Kevin was like four or five under. And he struggled down the stretch, made a couple of bogeys. I think he bogeyed the 18th hole, and Ben either won by one or two. And they interviewed Kevin after the round. And the guy said, Kevin, you, you look like you're really struggling down there. And he interrupted me. He said, wait. He said, I'm, I'm free to struggle. I don't have to struggle to be free. I'm and free I, to struggle. I'm free to struggle. It's and not I, a reflection on my character. Yeah, it's not a reflection on my character. This is how God created me. Yeah. Like, I'm not him. I can't control the things he can't control. So I'm free to struggle. But with that freedom that comes hope, I don't have to stay there. Hmm. I don't have to stay stuck. So... Let's, let's transition for a second about this issue about why Christians struggle so much with um, cognitive psychology. I had a guy, I had a guy, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve the will of God. I had a guy in my office a while back, and, and uh, he, he, um, he's not from here, and and he, he really struggled. He was struggling with some mindset. And, and I said, well, I'm not a good psychologist, but I take a lot of notes uh, from this guy named Milt. And so let me, you know, I, I didn't really say that. Uh, but but I, I did tell him this. The Lord gave me a word in that situation. Because I could tell by the way this guy was talking, he felt like this is forever. Like I'm never, you ever had a situation in your life where you felt like it's never going to get better? You, you ever hear yourself saying it's always going to be this way? It's always going to be this way. It's always going to be this way. And, and, and in that moment, the Lord impressed upon me Romans 12 too. And, 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 and I said, you know what, man? The Bible tells us to be transformed. That's on me. Yeah. That's my decision. To be transformed. But I said, but here's the deal. If you did not have the power of the Holy Spirit to transform the way you think and interpret, then that would be cruel of God to tell you that it is possible to be transformed, and yet you can't do it. That's a cruel joke. So the fact that God tells you you can be transformed means that you can be transformed. But in the, in the Christian space, we really struggle with psychology because we've seen it abused so much. Yeah. 
I mean, you got everything from health and wealth and name it and claim it. I mean, I, I would love a Ferrari too. I, can't, I just can't speak it into existence, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but the, the, the truth is, that doesn't mean that we're not to pursue a Holy Spirit-filled mind. Yeah, and I think, like you preached earlier in Psalm 37, like a delight in Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart once it's aligned with His will. Yeah. Right? That, that the desires of my heart becomes the desires of His heart. And so as I start transforming my mind, you know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people will perish. Mm-hmm. So, so, Again, I have to have a vision, but how does it align up with God's will versus my will? What is my desire of my heart versus what is the desire of God's heart? And so the reasons we can't speak things into existence because we aren't God. We're not made to do that. We aren't made to do that, right. but we are made in the image of God. Yeah. So understanding that the Old Testament and the New Testament is full of cognitive psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, this verse right here, my first little tagline for my company was transform your thinking, transform your life. Like, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do, how do we do that? Yes. And, and how do we capture our thoughts? Like, Philippians 2, 5 says your mindset yes. should be the same as that of Christ. Right. Right. Goes on to say, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be attained, so he humbled himself even to death on the cross. Right. And so I think that's the big difference. What the prosperity gospel, I think, has, has kind of falsely preached is you can have everything you want. You can be anything yeah. you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. That's right. And that's uh, just not true. No. No. I mean, I really wanted to be an NBA basketball player in the seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are limitations you and I have I just, that are going to prevent us. No matter what we say, no we can say. I could practice all I want. Yeah. You know, I mean, you ever seen Michael Jordan? I mean, really. There is a difference. There's a difference. And, and but so, so, so the, the, thing, the thing that I think happens in, in the Christian world is there's so much theological abuse that we run from it. And so what happens is the enemy rides in on that. I've learned something about Satan. He is great at hitching his wagon. He will ride in on the coattails of something. And it can be a lot of somethings. Yes. So when, when you look at... Um, you deal with people all the time, and, and, and so much of what you see has to do with how people frame up a, a, an issue. But we have a real enemy, and this is why I brought this in today. This is why I, I brought Milt here, because you have a real enemy whether you want an enemy or not. You know, I, I know a lot of Christians that kind of stiff arm uh, principalities. They, I've seen Christians stiff arm or, or kind of be uh, aloof even aloof to spiritual warfare, those are the ones I worry about the most. Yeah. The ones that are aloof to it. Because I want to tell you guys something. If, if the Lord peeled back the cloud layer and you saw the dominions and the principalities and the forces of darkness that, that are in, at work in this world, I don't know that any of us could take it. We have a very real enemy, and that enemy mill, the Bible tells me, Jesus said, he is the father of lies. You realize that when we're dealing with Satan, friends, you do understand that he is a master con man. Like, you don't realize until your watch is gone and your shoes are off your feet, you're like, where'd my shoes go? You are dealing with a master con man. And that's why the mind, to me, is so critical. Yeah, and so we've got to understand how are we being attacked. Yeah. You know, that same McKee, my daughter, who's uh, 15 now at age 7, she walked into that office that day to write that verse, and she said, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, she spelled it S-K-E-I-N-S, right? So she wasn't quite sure what those schemes were. they're real. But what are those schemes? And I listened to a great sermon by Tim Keller who said, you know, how 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 does Satan fight us? Well, one, he hides God's wrath and shows us God's grace. And sometimes as Christians, we think... Like, say, I, say that again? He hides God's wrath and shows us God's grace. Okay. So, so he hides God's judgment, right? And, and as Christians, we t- sometimes interpret that. I can do anything I want to do. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm free to... Like, like, everything in this world is supposed to be mine. Yeah. And, but the other way he attacks us is he hides God's love and grace and shows us his wrath, how unworthy we are. And so we are unworthy, yes. but that's why Christ came. But we hold on to the lie 
of what this world, of what Satan's telling us and what we tell ourselves, mm. that leaves us stuck and leaves us broken and leaves us overwhelmed. And, and you see so many people, Milt. I mean, you see people all the time that, you know, I, I use my, I'm wearing readers now and it's, 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 I don't know, it's life after 40, y'all. And, and I, I got up here in the, in, the, in the pulpit about a year ago, and, and I realized the whole passage was blurry. And I'm like, I don't have this thing memorized. I'm in trouble. You know, and my arms aren't long enough anymore to reach <laughs> further out. You know, and so I got, I got some, you know, readers. But I, I use them all the time as an illustration of framing up. Because we, we do, it's fascinating to me how... Jesus spoke about what's inside a man yes. comes out. I had a guy, a buddy of mine one time, he said his granddaddy always used to say, if you really want to know what's inside a man, squeeze him. Because what's already inside there is going to come out, right? Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. I mean, that, that, this is New Testament stuff. This isn't coming from Freud. <laughs> this is coming from the master, right? And so I, I think framing up is a... How we interpret, I, I see you talk a lot about that. Yeah, one of the things I think to be true, the story we tell ourselves about our life becomes our life. The story we tell ourselves. I have to get milk to qualify stuff all the time. I, can't, I mean, you got. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, I'm telling you, man, you're gonna, your brain's going to hurt. You should ride with him for four hours going to a duck hunt. I mean, I, I, had to, I just couldn't think anymore. Say that again. The story we tell ourselves about our life becomes our life. Becomes our life. So, so not only the story we tell about ourselves, but the story we tell ourselves about God. And so that creates a lens with which how we view God, how we view others, and how we view ourselves. As a man thinks in his heart. As a man, as you think, so you are. Proverbs 23, 37. Yeah, as you think, so you are. So what happens is we start creating a story over and over again in our life that, that really limits what I can do and what God can do in my life. And I start believing the lie. And so some of the lies that we believe is, I'm not worthy. Like, it's always going to be like this. I'm never going to get over this. What I've done is so bad in my life, I can't be forgiven. Mm -hmm. What someone has done to me is so bad in my life, I can't forgive them. Mm -hmm. I'm a victim the rest I'm, of my I'm life. I'm a victim the rest of my life. Yeah. It's, it's never going to get any better. Or, you know, we can talk about as parents. Some of the lies, like, my child must be successful. Oh, well, it's man. not in the successful in the ways of God. It's successful in the ways of the world. Yeah. My child must never suffer any consequence. Yeah, come on. Now you're, see, you're kind of moving out of Presbyterian. And, kind and of start to preach a little start bit. To a little bit. <laughs> that's good. I'm feeling this bad to sing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I was hoping you raise your hands, but you didn't. But it's all right. <laughs> it's, but it's true. Yeah, and Mo, so, we, call, we call them at Clearview lawnmower parents. If, yeah. if their child faces, and they're not helicopter parents, just watching yeah, we, over. We've moved. We're going to clear a path. Mow, we're going to, if, I, if, I, if my kid's going to struggle, I'm going to mow down every path. It's never the coach's fault. It's always the coach's fault. It's not that my, my kid didn't make soccer, because not because they, they, they didn't practice. No, it had to be the coach hated them. Yeah. And, you know, we just mow it down. And then we take that translation, if my child is suffering, then what's wrong with me? Yeah, I'm a bad parent. I must be a bad parent. Yeah. Well, well how do we challenge the lies? We've got to challenge the lies with the truth. Mm. Right, and if you think about what think about what Hebrews five eight says, even though he was the son of God, he learned obedience through suffering. Suffering. And I tell my children all the time, if it's okay for Jesus, it's okay for you. And that's where the prosperity gospel fails. Yes. We, read this. It ain't all fun. Yeah. But we're not home yet. No. And I think back to that prosperity gospel. One of the lies I think we misinterpret Philippians four thirteen. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We misinterpret. Like, I should be able to do everything. Yeah, jump over a mountain. Yeah, I should be yeah. able to do everything instead of what are the things, what's the truth? Mm. And, and what, who, what does Jesus say? Who does he say I am? Mm. Yeah. What does God say I am? Mm. And how do we see ourselves in a different way? The story that you believe in here is going to manifest itself yeah. out there. I never forget... Um, you guys, I mean, knowing I grew up in golf, my daddy, daddy one time um, had a golf pros do this thing sometimes called a playing lesson. It's not where you stand on the reins. My dad would go out with me. Like when, I remember this one. I remember it very vividly. I guess it was because it was so profound looking back on it. I was probably 15 years old, 16 years old. 
And it was late in the evening, you know, my dad's golf course, and nobody was around, and we went out on a few holes, and he would, course management, it's where you, you, he, you go over shots, and why did you choose to hit that shot instead, instead of hitting this shot? He was looking at your game as you play it. And we're, we're on the fifth hole, and uh, we're in the middle of the fairway, it's about 100, I was right at the 150s, at the 150-yard marker, and I'm right about the 150s, and the, in the fifth hole at my daddy's uh, golf course that I grew up on, I uh, had a bunker on the left, a bunker on the right. Uh, and if you went over the green, it was death. And, and my dad said, son, what kind of shot do you need to hit here? And I said, well, if I go right, I'm in the bunker. Sometimes when I'm under pressure, I, I tend to come over the top. And if I go left, I'm in that bunker. And if I nuke this thing and misclub it, I'm going to go over the green, and that's death. And my dad just standing there looking at me. And he said, son... Has it ever crossed your mind to hit a good shot? <laughs> and, and I was like, no. But that verse, yeah. I had already told myself, watch out for this, watch out for that, don't do that, and then you lock up. Yeah, you know, I think a good golf course is like life. There's so many things you don't want to do. And most of us walk through life thinking about what we don't want to be who we don't want to be and what we don't want to do. And, and as you think, so you are. If I walk around all day going, don't get mad, don't get upset, don't make a mistake, don't be hurt, don't be dis... Whatever that is, the, the, your brain develops the most dominant picture that you paint with which you attach the most emotion. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. Okay. All right. I need you to unpack that because the first time I ever heard you say that, I wrote it down and then I called a friend and I said... This is a very deep statement that I know is true. And he said, can you read it back? And he said, I need to write it down. And we both wrote it down. But I have picked that phrase apart. I've heard you say that in interviews before. But I want you to say that again, if you wouldn't mind, and, 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 and walk us through that. Because it is so true. Your, your brain will seek to develop the most dominant picture that you paint with which you attach the most emotion. The strongest emotion we experience as human beings is fear. You know, that's why it says over 300 something times, do not be afraid. Like God knew this was going to be a huge struggle for us. And so when I tell myself of who I don't want to be and what I don't want to do, what I'm really evoking is fear. And my brain is going to seek to develop that picture. So when I say we have to get our brains working for us, instead of against us, we've got to start thinking differently to create a different emotion, to create a different response, and to create a different outcome. Hmm. As you think, so you are. And our job as Christians is to let the Holy Spirit dictate that emotion. Yes. That I have a choice to believe something differently. And there's so much freedom when we, when we have that choice. Or, we, or as you say... You talk a lot about, explain to our people about how, how that ends up putting limits on God. Yeah, so one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 3.20, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And in my Bible, what I have written down beside that verse is no limits, no regrets. So the no regrets piece is I don't want to get into my life and regret that I didn't live a life that was worthy of him dying for me. I don't, I don't want to have regret about what I pursued in life. But the no limits means uh, who am I to set a limit on what God can do in your life? Who am I? Who am I to set a limit on what God could do in my life? Who am I to set a limit on what God can do in your life? Yes. And usually we set limits by how we think mm -hmm. and how we think about ourselves. Sets limits, limits on what we can do. We're so focused on what we can't do. Yeah. But the, and if you ever feel like you've set limits, listen, you're in really good company. Okay, because one of the things I've found as I've read this word is that the vast majority of people that God used to do incredible things, they were manic, freaked out weirdos. I mean, we, we look at Moses like he had, you know, 82-inch biceps. Moses had a speech impediment and said, I'm not going to go talk in front of him. <laughs> Pharaoh's going to make fun of me and he might just kill me. And on and on and on through this word, you see God taking very broken people and very, very storied people. That's, that's putting it mildly. Storied people. 
Uh, David, David, he, he thought different. I love that story in, in, in when, when he faces Goliath, where um, Goliath was known to come out and taunt. Every, every, so every uh, time they would go to battle, Goliath would walk up to the battle lines and scream at the Israelites and say, say things to them, to taunt them. One day David heard it when he was bringing up food. And, and he walks up to all the, the, the Israelites and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that shouts threats to God's people? That's about as close to Christian cussing as you're going to get. <laughs> and and, and what, he's, what he was saying was, we don't have to believe this. Yeah. He did not put a limit. And he walked out there with a rock, boom, and yeah. you know the rest of the story. Yeah. It wasn't about David, it was about God. No, he projected it onto God's yeah. people. And think about how David was anointed by Samuel. Right, like nobody thought, nobody they weren't even going to bring David in. He wasn't, he wasn't even line up. Yeah, but what what yeah. what did it say? For the Lord your God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. So we set limits on ourselves and other people by judging them on how we see them instead of seeing how God sees them. Hmm. You know that brings me uh, to a story. Uh, our Bible study uh, group of men I'm with back in Greenville, South Carolina. We were talking about like when we get to heaven. And we get to meet God. And, and I just said, man, I'm going to feel so unworthy. Like, I hope Jesus isn't in the room. He's not. I hope Jesus is not in the room because I'm going to feel so ashamed, so embarrassed, so unworthy. that He gave his life for me, and this is the life I lived. I'm going to feel so uh, ashamed that I, I don't even want to look him in the eye. And one of my buddies said, well, you better hope he's in the room. Or you didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, <laughs> you not only do you not make it, but God's judging you for who you really are, not who you are through the eyes of Jesus, through the blood of he's Jesus. He's the advocate. Yes, he's, he's, he's interceded for us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For you are beautifully and fearfully made. And I have tried to speak that to my girls like this past year. You are beautifully and fearfully made. And it hit me last week in some quiet time. You know what? I am too. That's right. And so when we talk about how do you see yourself, what do you see when you look in the mirror? And how do you set limits on what you say to yourself? Mm-hmm. Self-talk. Self-talk. You've helped, you've helped me a lot with that. Instead of, hey, I'm a child of God. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who he says I am. And it's not about me. It's about him. So when we talk about putting limits, um, Milt said something. He said something the other day when we were putting our script together, kind of the questions that you said something and, and I was writing, you know, and, and I wrote it down, what you said. You said, your lens produces your story. Yeah. As a man thinks in his heart, so he so is. But you said, your lens... The, the lens produces, the lens will manufacture what you believe. And you have a choice, Jason, yeah. of what you want to believe, right? Yes. And I think that's the heart of the matter. To be faithful with the mind means that I have a Holy Spirit lens that separates truth from error. And with that lens, what clarity does that provide about my life, about the success I experience in this world, yeah. the failures that I experience, the struggles that I have, what is my interpretation? And how do I interpret that? And how do I set limits on what God can do in my life? And I think what, you know, our preacher says back home that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the call. And so in your story, where does God show up? And what are your thoughts about him that empowers you, that strengthens you, that nourishes you, and how does being faithful in the mind equip you to do what he's called you to do and to become who he wants you to be? So I've thought, I've thought about this a lot, you guys, all week long. And, and I want you to know why we're talking about this. We're talking about this Because there's collateral damage. Or put it this way. We're talking about this because 
what we do with the lens and what we do with the truths of God, it, it has real-time effects today. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever worked, have you ever worked with, 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 with somebody that, had a, that, that, that was a victim of abuse earlier in their life? You ever had somebody in your life that was, that was abused 15, 20 years ago? Did you notice that it, 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 it tends to jack up everything else in every relationship they've ever had? Do you, that even 20 and 30 years later, it still messes with their marriage? And it happened when they were 15 or 14 or 10? Did you, have, you ever not, have you ever noticed, I, I see it all the time in men, men that had a bad dad, men that, that had, a, had a real oppressive father, then they, they, they do the same things with their kids. Because it's, it's what my undergrads in sociology, and we tend to repeat the patterns that were modeled for us. Have you ever been around a girl that some guy told, he told her when she was 15, 16, 17 years old because she wouldn't have sex with him, and he said, well, well, I don't like you anyway, and you're ugly. And he did it because he was mad, and then all of a sudden, 30, 40 years later, she's still hearing some man 30 years ago tell her about her beauty. It, if, we, if we don't get this right in the body of Christ, it affects everything, how you look at money. Your lens produces your story. And it, it, every one of us have it. So here's what we're going to do this morning. You know, the Bible, the Bible is really clear about, um, the Bible is really clear about pride. In fact, I was telling Milt this week as I was reading in my own, my own spiritual time with God, I was thinking about the verse, pride comes before the fall. Like, you know, you never see somebody, like, go through a divorce, and then after the divorce court situation, they go, I'm the man. Right? It's ludicrous to think that way. You never see somebody go through a bankruptcy or an embezzlement and go, boy, I'm going to prison because I am awesome. No, pride comes before the fall. And in Williamson County, I've lived here 20 years now, in Williamson County... If there's one thing I can say about this beautiful place that we live in, and it is a great place to, to live, one of the things we struggle with here is we are freakishly obsessed with image. We are so afraid that people might not think we have it all together. I have a job because we don't have it all together. So pride comes before the fall. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. Our band's going to come out here, and we're going to sing. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask that if, if you, listen, if you've got a couple things we're going to pray over, because we, we're, we're called to agree together in prayer. We're called to agree and, and to, to cast down strongholds, right? The Bible talks a lot about strongholds. Some of you have anxiety. You do. You just do. You're not a bad person. But I want to tell you something. You don't have to live with that, you know. You know, there is an option. So, some, of you, some of you need to come down this morning and intercede for a friend. You've got a brother or a sister. You, you've got a friend in your life that's, that's truly, honestly bound up. You just need to come intercede. There's, the, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are to agree together. There's power. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man that falls and has no one to help him up. Right? Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So some of you this morning, you may need to come to pray over your kids. You know, I want to tell you a story real quick before we pray. By the way, students, um, uh, y'all are here this morning. In the first service, we spent a lot of time praying for you, you specifically, middle school and high school students. Let, let me tell you why this matters to us so much. I don't know why this is, but I just know it's real. There is, if you ask teachers in the Williamson County school system, if you ask coaches in Williamson County, they will tell you that our sons and daughters are greatly oppressed with anxiety over performance. 
Look at where we live, y'all. We're in the top 10 wealthiest counties in the nation. We have college degrees. We start companies. We write songs. They see their dads on stages playing in front of large crowds. They see their moms leading corporations. There's so much pressure on our sons and daughters to perform. About two years ago, all of our students came back from Fuge in a big bus, and they were out there in the parking lot. And, and uh, one of our, one of our uh, chaperones had a, a bin, a Rubbermaid bin. It was probably, I don't know, 24 inches deep and 24 inches wide, just a big square Rubbermaid bin, and it was all the medications. Because, you know, they, I don't know if, they, if we still do it that way. And, but uh, at the time, um, th- this one lady who had a medical background, she was just watching. She had to keep the prescriptions together, you know. So when, when I happened to be standing there when, when they got off the bus, and she said, hey, I've got to go inside church and grab something. Can you just, I need you to not walk away from this. Can you just stand by it for a minute? It's, it's their medications. And it was for many, many students. Oh, I said, sure. And she walked off, and as she walked off, she got about three steps away, and she turned back to me for some reason, and she said, you know, 90% of that is anti-anxiety medication. And my heart just broke. So I, I just want you to know, like it, it, we prayed down this morning a spirit of anxiety that we would attach, detach ourselves from that. Not just in this church, but in this county. Because it is real. It, how we interpret, our, the lens produces the story. And as, as Milt's right, I mean, well, the word of God is right. As, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. So this morning, I'm just going to offer you an invitation. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, weary, and I'll give you rest. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.